Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space. My name's David and with me as always is my dear friend Matt. Hello there. And uh, today we are going to be discussing The Unquiet Dead. But before we do, um, we <laughs> I just want to quickly yeah. discuss the complete nightmare we have just discovered. So we, uh, we, we've just attempted to record episode two for <laughs> the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and it could have been the end of the podcast. Yeah. 75 minutes. Pretty good discussion, I thought. It was a cracking discussion. And I think it was uh, thoroughly it's a shame most of it wasn't recorded. Um, well, at least it, I think it was recorded, but uh, a lot of it was rendered utterly unlistenable. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go on record as apologising. We, <laughs> we, we record using my laptop, microphones that I've mm-hmm. acquired... In my attic. Yes, all very generously donated. Um, well, yeah. Yes. The technical side of things, I'll, I'll take full responsibility for. I, uh, we may never get to the bottom of what happened there, but um, I'm going to do what I can with it. Um, so maybe you'll have, uh, we'll be releasing uh, what we can of it. Maybe I'll um, put some kind of disclaimer or something before it. Or maybe this is episode two. Um, is just us discussing episode three. Who knows? Um, but anyway, well, I mean, who, you Doctor know. Who itself, not yeah. without its lost episodes. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Hopefully, we won't get ninety-seven of them, which is uh, what yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. God, has. Yeah. But, let's um, hope we don't get to ninety-seven episodes. Yeah. I mean, I say, who knows? We don't know. You in the future, dear listener, you do know um, what yeah. we've ended up doing. Um, so this might all be totally irrelevant. Yeah. But we um, might just record the episode, and no one will ever know. Yeah, I mean, well, they will know because I'm probably not going to edit this out. But uh, anyway, just a little, another peek behind the curtain there of um, the thoroughly amateurish yeah. <laughs> um, setup we have going on here. Um, but we're, we're learning, learning through We're doing. getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Okay, um, so, so today we're talking about The Unquiet Dead. Um, a lot of firsts for this episode, which I think are worth mentioning. So, first episode of New Who um, set in the past. Yep. Uh, first episode to be written by a writer other than Russell T. Davis. Absolutely. Mark Gattis. Yeah. Of League of Gentlemen fame. The very same. Okay. When I saw that, I was all in for this episode. Yeah, I imagine you would be, because you're a bit of a comedy fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he is a known quantity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, we talked in episode one about David Tennant. Everything he's in, he's fantastic. Yeah. Likewise, Mark Gattis. Yeah. Okay. I don't know whether I'd quite share that opinion. Um, I mean, and you may not when you see certain later episodes of Doctor Who. Okay. Um, okay. But, um, yeah, he. I am a big defender of him. He is, I would say, perhaps a controversial figure in the history of Doctor Who. Okay. He is a massive Doctor Who fan and has actually contributed an awful lot of stuff relating to Doctor Who and uh, pertaining to the Doctor Who universe over the years. Um, you know, I... I remember seeing him as the Iron Bank of Bravos in Game of Thrones. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thinking, oh my God, it's Mark Gattis yeah. of League of Gentlemen fame. Yeah, he's cracking in that. I, it's, a, it's a small part, but he, I think he's great yeah, in it. He's yeah. absolutely outstanding in yeah. it. I had quite high hopes for this episode. Yes, yeah. Um, so, he. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that it's, it won't be the last time you see his name in the credits of an episode okay. of Doctor Who. Uh, Prior to this, he had all, his first foray into the world of Doctor Who was a series of director video fan films oh, entitled Probe. 
Right. Um, well, which I have you know, never seen. Our Christmas special. Yeah, yeah I am very keen to watch those at some point. Um, he has also written for Big Finish Audio Adventures, which I mentioned in the previous episode. Yeah. He has written yeah, for yeah. tie-in novels prior to this. He is a full-on card-carrying Doctor Who fan, um, and it was a bit of a no-brainer to get him on board um, for writing this series. Um, no. You, do, you I, I, think I, perhaps maybe it didn't pay off? I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, of the three episodes we've watched yeah. for the podcast, I think this is the weakest. That's really interesting. Do you I, know what? This is one of my favourites of the series. The, I, I, had, <laughs> I had very, very little interest in this episode. Right, okay. Um, uh, can you put your finger on why? I, I'm, I'm not really sure, I, because hearkening back to last episode, yeah, uh, I, ta- I talked about the great work of time travel that is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, Yes, where I think, you know, the use of historical characters is fantastic. Yeah. I just could not buy into the Dickensian setting, the use of Charles Dickens. Right, right. Just, uh, I don't just know. Something that... just, it just didn't click with you. No, yeah. no. And, I mean, it's That's something true. we've discussed. We, you know, we frequently play Dungeons and Dragons together. And a big RPG setting that a lot of people love, that, again, I have no time for, is Lovecraftian. Oh, right. Where, yeah, it, yeah. It, something about it. Something about that, you know, that Victorian into late... Uh, yeah, early, early 20th century. Yeah, yeah you know, I think this episode's set in yeah. 1969. Uh, sorry, 1869. Yeah, yeah. You know, that period, probably up until the First World War, maybe slightly yeah, later. Yeah. I, I just have just, no interest in it. Yeah, you know, if you look at things like H.G. Wells, yeah. uh, you know, other than War of the Worlds... Again, I prefer the Jeff Wayne <laughs> musical <laughs> version. You know, uh, things you know, like the Time Machine. Yeah. It, it, it just this is interesting. This is I, I think we've hit a rich seam of difference between us that I was previously unaware of because I am a big Lovecraft fan. No. I am a big H. G. Wells fan. It, I just, really love a lot of Victoriana steampunk. I, I, um, I can't a lot explain of that kind why. Of rot. It's, it's just a, a yeah. period of literature and mm. what have you that just I have no interest yeah. in. Well, with that context, I can see why maybe you struggled with this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think you do... Um, a, a lot of Mark Gatiss's writing for Doctor Who in particular is stuff where you can see it comes from a place of love. Love yeah. of the show itself um, and also love of the subject matter that he is writing about, and in this one, it is his love letter to Dickens. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think when I'd read up on the episode, yeah. he he bought in due to his love of A Christmas Carol, which yeah. this episode takes a lot from. Yeah, absolutely. Draws I mean, on it real heavily. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it, it's set uh, towards the end of Charles Dickens' life, yeah. and, and, and this, is t- this is historical fact that towards the end of his life, he was doing... Um, like abridged one-man shows, effectively okay. of just readings of a Christmas Carol. This isn't something that Gatiss uh, concocted for, for as a contrivance for the episode. This is that that is actually um, I think 
I read on reading on Wikipedia the other day, so like a, maybe nearly 130 performances he okay. gave towards the okay. end of his, his lifetime. Um, but for yeah, for this episode, going back to I say last week we recorded yes. on the same day, last episode where the trailer gave an appalling. Uh, you know, presentation. Yeah. And actually, I really enjoyed the episode. Yeah. This time round, I thought the trailer was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Victorian ghosts or, yeah. you know, ghosts of the Dickensian period. I thought, you know, I, I could probably sit through that. Yeah, something, and yeah. I, I just could not agree with this episode. Uh, it, it breaks my heart. I mean, I will be, I will be honest. I think I'm... In the minority of fans, in the amount of love I have for this episode, a lot of people do rank it near the bottom of series See, one. I, I, but I just, I don't know why. It's one of the, it's just a blind spot for me. It's a hill I will die on. I have gotten into some really intense discussions mm. on fan boards and stuff uh, defending this episode because it just works for me. It really does. I mean, I have a couple of nitpicks, but. They, they really are just nitpicks. I, I, so I think in order, for me, episode two ranks at the top. Right. Then episode one, then this, right. so far. Yeah. But that's where I'm at. There's, again, I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but probably the setting is one. I've never yeah. really... Yeah. You know, and... And I guess you were underwhelmed by Gators' uh, writing. Were you expecting it to be funnier, maybe? Um, no, or, well, I, I think yeah. the writing was on par... For yeah. the for the series, you yeah. know, I, I didn't think there was a huge disparity in the characters. Uh, again, there was just something. Uh, without giving the game away, I think when we reached the end of the episode, the payoff was quite weak. Mm, potentially, you know. Well, should we should we get into should it? We like, jump in? Yeah. What um, what have you got on your notes? Okay, so we start in eighteen sixty nine. Yes. An old lady is dead. Yeah. Okay. She turns blue. She goes White Walker. Yeah. Speaking of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. Zombie eyes. Chokes an old man. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good cold open, I'd say. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that was a problem at all. Yeah. And the effects were yeah. pretty good for the time, I'd say. And I forget. Do we Are we introduced to Mr. Sneed, the uh, the Undertaker, in that uh, cold open? I think we I, are. I think we him. are. Because yeah. I think he comes in and I can't remember. I think he fights off. Yeah, and, and you sort of hear him uh, yelling at, at Gwyneth, uh, you know, yeah, we've got another one. He says, we have yeah. another one. Yeah. yeah. And wh- whilst he's doing that, this dead, undead old yeah. lady just yeah. walks off. Yeah. You see, I, I love that. I love that as a cold open. I love the sort of black humour of it. And Yeah. And I think the, I forget, oh, I always forget the name of the guy who plays Mr. Sneed, but I think he does a great sort of deadpan performance throughout this episode. I really like him as a guest performance. Um, I've never seen him in anything else. Oddly, I'm not sure I just I don't recognise the accent. I didn't recognise anything him, no. other. But I have watched. This is uh, to, to to be clear about how much I love this episode. This is one of my go-to just comfort episodes of Doctor Who. One that I will quite mm. happily just throw on out of sequence when I'm not watching, uh, rewatching the series as a whole. Yeah. Sometimes I was like, oh, I just want to watch a bit of Doctor Who. Oh, I'll stick on Quiet Dead on. I just. And and that the, his performance as Mr. Sneed is one of the reasons. I just think it is a great sort of deadpan comic performance, um, and, and and one of the things that sort of 
carries me through this episode. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so that's so, the cold so open. So that's the cold open. We have the theme tune. Yeah. Episode three. Yeah. I'm sick of the theme tune. <laughs> oh, no! Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm not... I'm not... Uh, Murray Gold, the composer... Um, he has composed all the incidental music of the uh, new series from, right. from series one to series ten. His arrangements, uh, I should say arrangements, he has done several over the course of the series of the Doctor Who theme, have uniformly underwhelmed me. Right. I do not think he has ever so, nailed that theme. It is a brilliant theme and I don't think he ever does it justice. So has the, the theme yes. is the Doctor Who, Who theme... Yeah. As I've always known it. Yes. How how much has it changed since original Doctor Who? Uh, quite a bit. It's it's gone through many iterations. So the earliest version of the theme, uh, which was written by a chap called Ron Grainer and okay. arranged by um, Delia Derbyshire, who was uh, one of the pioneers of electronic music, okay. um, unappreciated in her lifetime. That that never has that phrase being truer of someone. Right. Um, she is now, these days, within electronic music circles, she is an icon. But, you know, she was basically almost completely written out of history during mm. during her lifetime. Uh, but she worked for um, a small department of the BBC called the Radiophonic Workshop. I don't know if you ever heard of it. That's a great name for an indie band. It's brilliant, isn't it? Um and what they basically did was they were they were experimenting with electronic music and devices, um, working. This is in pre-digital, so before keyboards, before synthesizers, they were manipulating analog tape right. in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways. Um, uh, so a lot of classic Doctor Who like sounds, like the sound of the TARDIS, was created by uh, electronically treating the sound of uh, a key being scraped up a piano wire. Oh, really? And and, um, I believe uh, one of the sounds used in the original D.D. Derbyshire arrangement of the Doctor Who theme was uh, taken from her tapping a green desk, like, you know, those classic green desk lamps? Yes, yes. uh, yes. Tapping that with a pen... And sort of taking that sound and stretching it and, oh, and wow. morphing it in all kinds of fascinating ways. And if you, um, I'll play it to you at some point, the original arrangement of the Doctor Who theme is incredibly eerie. Right. So it's purely electronic, really creepy and weird and unsettling, but with this beautiful heroic middle section, which is mm. often taken out of um, modern uh, versions of the theme, much to my chagrin. Um and uh, to the point that the the composer, Ron Grain, when he first heard Delia Derbyshire's arrangement, actually said to her, did I write this? It oh, was wow. almost unrecognisable. Awesome. Um, so, subsequent to that, there have been rearrangements. Through the classic series, every so often, new sh- new uh, producer comes in, wants to, you know, zhuzh things up a bit. One of the th- first things they do is commission a new arrangement of the theme. Has it changed yeah. much over the ten seasons of the reboot? Not as much, purely because they are all done by Murray Gold, right. and Murray Gold has his way of doing things, uh, which usually involve buckets and buckets of orchestration. So you've got strings and horns <laughs> layered on top of it. Whereas 
speaking personally, I often prefer a more electronic theme. Right. And it's something I've got my fingers crossed for with Series 11 because it's the first series of the revival to have a new composer in-house. So um, I'm kind of intrigued to see where that goes. But yeah, so for what it's worth, I'm not surprised you're a bit sick of the theme because... I'll be honest, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this version. There's 101 yeah. TV shows I can watch, and I listen to the theme tune every time. Yeah. This isn't one of them. No. Okay. So, following the theme tune, yes. we have Doctor and Rose in a broken TARDIS. Yeah. Hardly surprising. It's made of bike pumps and spinny wheels. <laughs> you know? And, you know, they agree, we've seen the future, let's see the past. Yes. Okay. So, whilst they're doing that, we see Mr. Sneed again. Yeah. This time with Gwyneth, I think they're on a wagon. Yes. Or a horse and cart drawn wagon. Yeah. Um, and they say the stiffs are getting lively again. I love that line. Yeah. Come on, you've got to admit that's a good Yeah, line. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And they say something terrible's happening in the house. Yes. Okay. It clearly is. There's dead people yeah. walking around. Yeah. Okay. Murdering other people. Now, to go back to last episode yes okay where I said there was a couple of really good speeches I enjoyed yes there's one here yeah okay for all really I didn't buy into this episode where the Doctor and Rose are discussing visiting the past you know he says there's days dead and gone you know we can never get back to them yeah Um, however he can you know when I think I can't remember I think they're dis it might be at the end of the episode where they're discussing, you know, Christmas Eve, eighteen sixty nine. Yeah. Only, only happens. happens once. Yeah. But however, you know, yeah. we, we see that's not the case here. Yeah. yeah. Now following this, bit of an odd reveal. Gwyneth is a telepath. Psychic of some description. Necromancer. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. And yeah. as if from nowhere she reveals the old lady wants to see a great man from London. Yes. Who immediately is revealed to be Charles Dickens. Yes. Okay. Played by Simon Callow. Um, oh, I've right. got Simon Motley written down. Oh. It could be one or the other. We'll it's it definitely... It's, I can tell you for a fact, it's definitely Simon Callow, and this is not the first time he's played Dickens. Oh, right. Nor, do I believe it, is his last. He's almost made a career out of just playing Charles Dickens. I, I would argue... He's, stage and screen. He's made a career out of playing Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> <laughs> the the characterisation of Dickens is exactly how Sir Ian McKellen is portrayed in yeah. the media. Yeah. And I suppose probably Sir Ian McKellen would be entirely dissimilar from Dickens. You no, know, he, quite... he, he could pull off a Dickens. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're theatre darlings. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're very, it's very similar to Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, no, I can I can see that. I can see that. Um, but, yeah, Callow, as I say, he's, he. I think he first started playing Dickens in, in a one-man show, um, on on stage, subsequent to that, did it for a couple of TV things. He's played Dickens in films. He's just he does seem to be just every casting producer's speed go dial. To go to go to Dickens, rent a Dickens. <laughs> so whilst that revelations happened, yes. there was a bit of an odd moment. I've sort of drawn a big red star next. Yeah, time. is well. First of all, the Doctor alludes to the size of the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think he explains to Rose she needs to go get changed. 
and he says it's down the corridor, third on the left, then take the second right, up the stairs. So, yeah. Some convoluted directions like that yeah. that allude to the fact that the TARDIS is much bigger than just yes. this control room. Yeah, there, there is a lot uh, off-screen that we haven't seen yet. Okay, do we ever see that, or is that the mystery of the TARDIS? Or you're rolling your eyes, you're not going to tell me, are you? I don't think I am. Okay, Sorry. but the, the point I wanted to talk about is the Doctor says to Rose that she looks beautiful. Mm. Okay, yeah. now, this sort of stuck out for me because, you know, we didn't touch on it last lesson, but there was a bit of a romantic link between the Doctor and Jabe. Yes. Possibly. I think I think there's only an implication of some flirtation. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but we frisson. It it doesn't seem to be a character trait synonymous with him up until this point. No, there are um, by and large up until uh, certainly. I don't know what I don't want to say too much. Okay. Uh, classic era fans tend to view the Doctor as more or less an asexual being. Right, yeah. And that, that was my I would argue maybe incorrectly. Uh, certainly I don't view maybe asexual, but maybe not aromantic. Okay, um, okay. But that that is to be... Like many things in, in ter- when we touch on the wider lore and history of the character, um, it's a can of worms. Yeah, everybody has different opinions. You know, we um, we discussed last episode that it, human beings have travelled time and space. Well, yeah. certainly space and yeah. spread yeah. across the universe by the year five billion. Yeah, could they mate with the Time Lord? You know, the Forest of Chain. We discussed they've probably fucked a tree. Could they fuck a Time Lord? Um, okay, and in Russell T. Davis's take on the Hooniverse, mm-hmm. as it is sometimes known. Everyone fucks everything. Right. That's basically what it comes down to. In the future, uh, star-faring nations, of which there are many, everyone basically fucks everything. Right. And you, you'll you'll see more of that as the um, as the series goes on, I think. But I think that's one of the interesting features of um, his take on Doctor Who. I think perhaps... Okay. I don't want to speak out of turn because, you know, I am a white heterosexual man. Yeah. I basically should should approach with caution any kind of discussion about um, uh, any kind of minority. Um, but having said that, I think it is perhaps interesting that uh, Russell T. Davis, an openly gay uh, writer, someone who for whom his biggest success up until Doctor Who had been the series Queer as Folk. Okay, uh, I, I, was on, yeah. I didn't know he'd written that. Yeah, um, so I think there is a conscious effort to make this new series uh, one which explores, um, to some extent, within the bounds of a family-oriented uh, drama, yeah. um, to explore the, the wide... Uh, panoply of yeah. um, of sexuality. Um, I, I was going to say LGBT issues, but it, yeah. when it's between species, it's yeah, it, it's a, a um, step above. Yeah, pansexuality. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a a feature, not a major feature, but it is you know something of a feature. So anyway, yeah, no. So the doctor remarks that Rose looks beautiful, and it is the first time we have certainly ever seen him. Uh, Say anything like that yeah, to Rose. Uh, certainly towards Rose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Though of course he does then does that immediately undercut it by saying for a human. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, now from there we go to what I consider the low point of the episode. Right. Okay. Yeah. Probably. Probably the point where I made my mind up about this episode. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We have Charles Dickens on stage performing. Yes. It cuts to the audience. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's not like a Where's Wally. There is clearly, <laughs> clearly just a fucking zombie in the audience. You know, straight away. For some reason, I had yeah. a disconnect between the start of the episode and this scene. Yes. Yeah. Where it cut. And I just thought, hang on a fucking minute. Is that a zombie in the crowd? <laughs> and then, of course, once my mind had caught up with me. Yeah. That's just... It's, how did no one notice this? To be fair, Victorians were generally quite pale. Yeah, yeah but... <laughs> a yeah. pale old spinster would not have looked out of place in the audience of a Charles Dickens reading. Um, well, I'm a fetid let's, corpse. Let's be honest, <laughs> I am making excuses for this episode. It is. It does... Uh, perhaps stretch um, one suspension of disbelief a tad. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so you've got this corpse sat in the audience, and then she starts leaking? Leaking ghost? Yeah, yeah. It just <laughs> seems to, you know, sort of just pour out of her a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But uh, the... it gives old Charlie Boy a bit of a shock. Yeah, and prior to reading up on this episode, I, te- yeah. I tend to watch the episode, read up on it, watch yeah. the episode again. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I wasn't really certain of the link to A Christmas Carol. Right. But Charles yeah. Dickens speaks of the, char- the character Marley. Yes. And he says, Marley looks like... And then he just goes, oh, well, a bit like that. Yes. So yeah. I thought that was quite a good reference, mm-hmm. but... That was only because I was unfamiliar that the rest of the episode was basically going to be a Christmas Carol. You know, there, I don't know. There is a point it's... where I think it might be Dickens himself, or it could be one of the other characters, where the door knocker is the ghost from Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy that. I I enjoy that quite a bit, but then again, I, as I've already made clear, I'm a bit of a sucker for Mark Gatiss, especially when he is in uh, full homage mode as he definitely right. is in this uh, episode it's not as good as the ghost door knocker in Muppets Christmas Carol is it I mean that is a very high bar <laughs> in the seminal work yeah. you know last I, week we talked a lot about Bill and Ted I'm yeah. going down the Muppets path I mean uh, you will have no disagreement from me there as far as I'm concerned Muppets Christmas Carol is the only uh, valid adaptation of a Christmas Carol there we go so but then we find out from the doctor they were aiming for 1860. Yeah. He finds out it's not 1860, it's 1869. They're not, nor are they in Naples, they're in Cardiff. Yeah. Okay, so that sort of tied up. Uh, again, I was uh, trying to outsmart Doctor Who. <laughs> the episode opens and says 1869. Yeah. Doctor Who himself says we're going to 1860. Yeah. I was ready to jump on that. <laughs> but thankfully, the knackered old TARDIS, yeah. you know, solved that problem. Yes, I think so. So this is perhaps your first real exposure to the fact that um, the, TARDIS the TARDIS doesn't work. It's not an exact science. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is prone to occasional... Uh, uh, occasional mishaps and uh, missing of the mark. Yeah, but from there, yeah, the parties become split. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where Rose joins up with Gwyneth. Yes. Dickens joins forces with Doctor Who. Yeah. Now there's an issue we talked about last week and whether or not we can save that episode that I just want to revisit. Yeah. This idea that Rose sympathizes with essentially the oppressed. Oh yes. And we get so we get almost um uh, it's certainly an echo of the scene that we had with the plumber in Yeah, uh, with Raffalo. Yes. Where, you know, Gwyneth is subservient. Yeah. You know, I think she was orphaned and taken in. Yeah. But, you know, Rose essentially tries to get her to stand up for herself, be yeah. slightly more assertive. She, yeah, she's bringing her 21st century values yeah. to this mid-19th yeah, absolutely. century. As opposed to bringing girl. them to the five billionth century. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, you know, I did say last time that I picked up on that theme and it it continues here. Definitely. Okay, now there's a nice little bit. Uh, Again, I'm not a huge fan of Dickens or his work. Right. One that I remember vividly from my time at school with his story, The Signalman. Yes, which I've never actually read. Nice little nod to this. Yes, yeah. I think it's essentially about a haunted train line. Yes, yeah. And I, I do intend to look into that again. I remember yeah. enjoying that at school. I've got, um, I'll have a copy of this one. I actually inherited from my grandfather oh, wow. um, and a complete set of Dickens. It's, it's to be fair, not a terribly ornate set of Dickens. Right. But it's, it's um, well loved. And I have been, you know what, actually, after watching this episode, I pulled off that shelf, um, um, a copy of uh, David Copperfield yeah. from that uh, set because I've Dickens has been one of those one writers where I've I've read a couple of bits, okay. uh, but I've always been meaning t- telling myself, oh, I'm going to read every last one of these books yeah. I've inherited and never get round to it. And uh, this episode did actually give me that little nudge, right? And uh, I'll have, I'll. Have, get five pages into it and then get distracted by some dumb comic book like yeah. usual. But <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I, I I am keen to read The Signalman because it, it's just a short story, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think it must have been GCSE English. Yeah. I did that in. Yeah. Light, light Rose. Yeah. I, well, I did do my levels, I just didn't do English. <laughs> but Rose herself then wakes up in a funeral home. Right. The, the same funeral home yeah. as before. And there's another zombie. This time we see the ghost come from the lamp. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I I, I didn't make the link immediately why the lamp. Yeah. But that, that's alluded to later on. It is, yeah. Now, when the ghost comes from the lamp, enters the dead body and begins walking around. Yeah. Rose reverts back to her episode one line of thought. Yeah. That he's just pranking. You know, she thought when the Autons <laughs> were coming together, it was students doing a yeah. big prank. This time, you know, she's been to the end of the world. She's met aliens. Why is it so hard for her to believe this? She she maintains a healthy scepticism. Yeah. And I think... Well, well what I, does I she if she assumes the... everything's just a prank? <laughs> Um, well, I guess, okay, this is me making excuses for writing here, but I think maybe you could make the argument um, that she assumes if ghosts were real and were walking around in the mid-1800s, she would have heard about it. 
but yeah. she comes from the future and is not and aware not of this problem. being a thing. So she's maybe that's the line of thinking. I think she does say something along those lines a bit later in the episode, kind of saying, "Oh well, well, how do we know? You know, we know that this doesn't." Happened that they don't take the Gelf don't take over, but anyway, oh, we're you're getting, getting ahead, ahead of yourself. We are mentioning we are. the G word. Oh yes, sorry. Okay, and Doctor Who says the ghosts are inside the walls. Yeah. Okay, and at this point, um, I, I can't remember exactly. But ghost makes itself known to them. Yeah, and says, you know, you're failing to open the rift. We're dying. Is this do we do? We, is this the the seance? Uh, yes, scene? sorry. Yes, yes that's yeah. how we reach this point. Yeah. So, so basically, um, I think the doctor is the one who actually proposes. Um, yes, that they hold that's a right. seance and uses um, sort of the 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 experiences that Gwyneth has had as yes. someone who has been right. identified as being a psychic, um, because of course um, context for this. The mid eighteen hundreds was the point at which spiritualism was the new fad. Yes, it was very much um, a a burgeoning trend, and and where a lot of the the, the trappings of things like seances and mediums and things like yeah. that first really bubbled up into our culture. And interestingly, I don't know if you were uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah, uh, very yep. contemporary of. Um, Actually, maybe a touch later than Dickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, he he was a confirmed spiritualist. Um, and it's kind of, I, I always find there's an interesting uh, irony and dichotomy between uh, Conan, uh, Conan Doyle and Dickens, where Dickens wrote a lot about spiritual sort, sort of stuff. He wrote ghost stories and things of that mm-hmm. nature, but used them as metaphors for yes. his sort yeah. of... Um, and that's called, touched on in the episode itself. Yeah. Um, Whereas Conan Doyle, in his private life, uh, went to seances, attended mediums, uh, was utterly convinced by... I don't know if you've ever seen the the, um, the faked photographs of, uh, um, that came out in the 1800s where some man had stuck obviously cardboard cut-out fairies in hedgerows yes, and things. Yes, Took uh, photos yeah, of them. I'm and, familiar with and that. And yeah. utterly convinced half the population of Britain that fairies existed. Yes. Conan Doyle was amongst their number. Right. Utterly buying this wholesale and brooking no argument that there might be a bit of trickery afoot. Right. Um, but meanwhile, he's most famous for creating a, a rational sceptic character yes. in, yeah. in, in uh, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. So there's, there's an interesting sort of inversion going on there. Um, anyway, massive tangent. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think that's sort of... That's kind of the reason that um, we have this this in the form of a seance that it's kind of, again, it, it's Gatiss drawing on the, uh, the sort of milieu of mm-hmm. um, the mid-1800s. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so we find out from the seance the dead have been walking for three months. Yeah. And the doctor identifies this as the rift. Okay, yeah. Okay. Which is a weak point in time and space. So they say, okay. yes, in this episode. And a common cause for ghost stories. Yeah. Now, to go off on another tangent, Yeah. this reminded me of the ill-fated Matrix sequels. Which I have never seen. Okay, well, there's... I 
think I'm right in saying it's in the second one, which is the better of the two sequels. Right. Where there are characters played by the brothers from Bros. I think is it Mark and Luke Goss? I think I'm right in saying that. I, I know nothing about and that. And their characters are essentially ghosts. Yes. Okay. And it's explained that manipulations within the code of the Matrix right. has led to things such as werewolves, vampires, and ghosts. Uh-huh. Okay? So, by manipulating the code that essentially makes you, you, yeah. within the Matrix, you can manipulate that code mm. cool. ex- externally to the Matrix to create I, things. I don't hate that. So, as, a, as a sci-fi concept? That's sort of where I went with that idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, in, in, in Doctor Who terms... Uh, it's it's always aliens. Yeah, it's basically whatever it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's aliens. It's always aliens. Um, they whatever kind of seemingly spiritual or or um, magical uh, element there is always. However flimsy, there is a science fictiony explanation for it. Yeah, rather than it being actual magic. Yeah, it doesn't matter what. The scenario is, yeah. it, there's an alien to fit it. Yeah, basically. Okay. Now, the next part I've just labelled, Charles Dickens investigates. <laughs> he, he sort of goes on his little investigation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because, because, of course, as we were saying, he is, he is basically the, the voice of rationalism in yeah. this episode. He is, he is basically the one kicking against any notion of... Um, uh, otherworldliness yeah, and, and insisting that there must be some kind of logical explanation for this. But to go, to go back to the point you made comparing him to Conan Doyle, yeah, he cannot comprehend the reality of ghosts. Here. Yeah. He, yeah. It, because it's not rational thought, he cannot wrap his head around that. Yeah. Okay. And then there's another conversation between Rose and Gwyneth. Yeah. Okay. In which Gwyneth, they talk about school again, Rose's favourite topic of conversation. Yes. And Gwyneth sort of reads Rose's mind. Yeah. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is through that reading of the mind, we find out Rose's father is dead. Yes. Okay. So, you know, that sort of could be the reason of her relationship with the Doctor. He saw, he may fulfil that. I think that it's not a stretch to say that maybe she, she is She's finding seeking a father figure. Yeah. And they talk about the darkness. The big bad wolf. Mm. And I don't know if that's ever alluded to again. It's probably nothing. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. Okay, we find out Gwyneth is the key to the rift. Yeah. We get this episode's bad joke. <laughs> the, the, the bin moment of yeah. the episode yeah where Doctor Who says make sure she's cheery I love a happy medium yeah should we just let that awkwardly hang in the air yeah comedy legend Mark Gatiss yeah <laughs> yeah writer of the League of Gentlemen yeah um, per- perhaps if I'd bought more into this episode I would have loved that joke but it's possible you, you I, was out genu- by, I was out by this point you seem genuinely thrilled by Armless in the first episode yeah so yeah and then at this point it's when the quote unquote ghosts reveal themselves to be the Gelf 
Yes. Okay, and they are explained as another victim of the Time War. Yeah. The third mention in third mention in episodes. There we go. Yeah. And essentially, they are like gas ghosts, aliens. Yes, they so, have lost their corporeal forms as yeah. a result of the Time War, but have somehow managed to maintain this this precarious existence. Yeah. As um, vaporous beings. Okay, so for new hosts. An incredibly, incredibly poor sci-fi reference. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen the box office bomb, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within? I can't say that I have. Okay, because it's essentially exactly the same plot. (laughs) Really? Yeah, there there is a space war between two races. All of a sudden, all these ghosts appear on Earth. Right. No one can really comprehend what's going on. Uh It turns out they'd lost this space war... And, it, it, okay. you know, it, it's very, very simple. Wow. I have two questions relating to that. Okay. Firstly, which came first? Um, um, this is 2005. Oh, I would actually say Final Fantasy. I, I definitely saw that before my 18th birthday. Wow, so Mark Gatiss potentially yeah. ripping off a Final uh, Fantasy. I'm going to quickly film. Google that whilst I answer the uh, second question. My second question is, which did it better? it's strange because they're both unenjoyable Um, but for entirely different reasons you know what every time you you you, um, dismiss this episode I do die a little bit inside the Final Fantasy movie was four years prior to this really? yeah 2001 I mean I do have a hard time believing Mark Gatiss would have watched it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a best for, we are for, for all the plot is similar. The tone, they, yeah. the setting, the characters are all yeah. very, very different. Probably at best unintentional plagiarism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I had to choose. I don't know, I suppose the Doctor Who episode's shorter. <laughs> you know, be grateful for small mercies. But. Yeah, yeah the. The plot are, are incredibly similar. That's 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 interesting. I'm gonna to have to read the wiki article about that when I get home. But I mean, the, I, I won't actually so, watch it. Yeah, but, you know. But the the doctor advocates the essential forfeit of dead bodies to save the Gelf race. Yes. Okay. Now the Gelf, their planet was destroyed in the Time War. Uh huh. That's as little or as much as I know. Yes. Going back to an earlier point. So was the nesting consciousness. Why can we rescue the Gelf, not the nesting consciousness? I feel like you harp on this every episode. Um, so all I can do is reiterate what I said before. He was trying to find uh, an amicable solution. I am by no means a nesting right. consciousness okay. sympathiser. Well, it's starting to sound <laughs> yeah. like it. Look, yeah. the nesting consciousness wanted to kill all the humans... And populate the earth in its in their stead. All the Gelf are asking for is to yes. occupy vacant bodies, right. which is makes us as humans a bit queasy. We maybe don't like the thought of just ghosts wandering, uh, uh, zombies effectively wandering around. Yeah. You know, just corpses inhabited by alien ghosts. But having said that, um, that for the Doctor at least is the more palatable option. 
Um, then the demise of a species. Another species, uh, bearing in mind that he has already lost his own species. Uh, uh, that was going to be my next yeah. question. Do you think it's a lingering point from the demise of his own species? 100%. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it is It is intentionally... Um, we are seeing his, his guilt and his trauma from as a survivor, the sole survivor of his uh, species from the Time War, um, basically, um, that that's that's kind of um, manipulating his his thought processes and his decision making. And as okay. we as the episode progresses, we find out that maybe much to the detriment of his decision making. Um, yeah, because he he. Fucks up in this episode. He yeah, really yeah. fucks um, up. I mean, I'll breeze through the next points to get there. Yeah. So, Gwyneth believes they're angels. Yes. It's probably the most logical solution in 1869. Yeah, it's it's un- it's understandable that she comes to that conclusion. And you they, know, her only school was Sunday school and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. And they then head to the morgue, which is the rift weak point. Yes. And in big red letters, I've just written, Gelf Betrayal. Yeah. So it turns out, yeah, they ain't all, you know, yeah. peaches and cream. No, <laughs> in, in wrestling parlance, I believe it's called the heel turn. The heel turn. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so they actually do want to kill the yeah. humans, because then they have their bodies, Yeah. and they say billions will descend. Yeah, what, a, what naughty scamps they are. Yeah. Yeah. Now, whilst this is kicking off... And just just to, in case there was any doubt um, in terms of how evil they were, in terms of um, what they're saying, they do also very helpfully turn from a sort of ghostly blue into fiery red, naughty red, and and their and the voice goes all deep and evil yeah. as before. It was, Absolutely you know, pitiful and waif-like. So, so is yeah, it any surprise? Not especially subtle. Is it any yeah. surprise when that happens? Dickens legs. <laughs> I don't blame it. You know, I, th- I think when we were talking about the Autons, I yeah. suggested Rose's natural behaviour yeah. would be to leg it. Yeah. Dickens cheeses it out of town here. Yeah. I'd be doing the same. Okay. And when he escapes, he presses his back against the door to try and, you know, yeah. put a barrier between him and the girl. Yeah. And that's where we get the Marley's door knocker scene. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which I enjoy. No. I will not apologise for that. Now, at this point, yes, Rose tries to wrap her head around time paradoxes. Yeah. She, you know, why can't we just go back in time before yeah. this happens? What, what, doesn't she say, Is that what she says or is, it, is she saying... Um, I certainly recall her saying, but we know this doesn't happen. Yes. I'm from yes. the future. Sorry, yes. Yeah. I know that the, the world wasn't taken... That the world wasn't taken over by the Gelf in uh, eighteen sixty nine. That's right. So, um, and this is the point which the Doctor explains: time is in flux. Time yes. can be rewritten. Yeah, because it would be a very boring time travel show if their actions never had any consequences. Definitely. Now, we, we talked about last episode the plot point relating to Lady Cassandra that I didn't fully understand. Yeah. We were able to sort of wrap our heads around it eventually. We got I mean, there. You you were. I still th- don't think I understand okay. it. I probably never now, will. People probably don't know this, but in my day-to-day life, I'm a science teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Can you explain to me, a man of science, yes. how turning the gas off displaced the ghosts from their lungs? Now, the only thing I could think of is it's some form of carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, unless... I, I, I couldn't... You know, yeah. it's just sort of one of those, oh, by the way, turn the lamps off, the ghosts are out. Let's move on and never discuss it further. Yeah. Unlike you, um, I specialised in the arts at school. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I don't think I can necessarily (laughs) provide you with an adequate Uh, hard science explanation for how Dickens's uh, gas ruse works. I would never claim to be the brightest button, but I I know enough. Um, I couldn't quite Um, fathom this. It's... Gassy, so they go in and, lungs. And more gas, so like you know, then there's more, 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 more gas and okay. different gases. Now so they had enough gas that when yeah. Gwyneth lights the match, yeah. the she, whole place goes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I am yet to see a film or any pop culture, yeah, yeah. where you can kill a ghost with fire. Yeah. Now. But bear in mind, these are not ghosts. They are gas-formed creatures. Okay. So, fair, fair comment. So, in this, in, I think... They're that, made of flammable yeah. gas. They're made of, presumably, flammable gas. Yeah. Still doesn't explain how turning the gas taps on drew them out. But, but um, yeah, I yeah. live. It, 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 at the end of the day, it meant that they could end the episode on a nice big explosion. Yeah. Because the, the, there's a nice bit after this where... Rose is infuriated at yeah. Gwyneth's death. Yes. Because, you know, she's expecting the Doctor to save her. Yeah, yeah. But once the Doctor explains, yeah. then Rose comes to terms with that. Yes. And is actually quite almost proud of Gwyneth that she was the one that saves the world. Yeah. But then there's that sombre note where I think she says no one will ever know. Yeah, that's true. So... Uh, I enjoyed that part of the yeah, episode. That was the dramatic. It's bittersweet, bit. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I think an, an example of how, uh, for family viewing, Doctor Who doesn't pull its punches. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. in, in a in a lesser children oriented uh, show, Gwyneth would have survived somehow. They would have found some hand wavy way to to uh, somehow protect her from the blast. But yeah. No, in Doctor Who, she dies. Just yeah. people die. But it's <laughs> yeah. like it's traveling with the Doctor is a deadly business. And if if you recall um, that scene in in uh, Rose um, with good old Clive, R.I.P. Yeah. Clive, where where he he says death is the Doctor's constant companion. Mm. I think we are starting to I see the evidence of that. Are we at this point? three episodes in? Yeah. Three dead characters, at least. Yeah, actually, more, more. from episode yeah. two. Yeah. Um, so from there, they say goodbye to Dickens. Yeah. There's a nice little scene from the ending of A Christmas Carol. You know, yeah. what day is this? Oh, yeah. it's Christmas Day. Yeah. Merry Christmas, one yeah. and all. Yeah. And that was that was quite nice. I there is a there is a one moment in particular with the the farewell with Dickens that I really really love. Um, it's something that I think you maybe see echoes of in future Doctor Who episodes as well, without wanting to spoil too much. Um, perhaps matters more to me um, as a writer, albeit, like, I say I'm a writer, I'm 
you know, never really had much published except for some, you know, un- underground um, zines and stuff, which are read by other writers and yeah. nobody else. Um, but, but even then, you want the one thing that artists want is for their work to last. Yes. To outlive yeah. Them. Uh, that and, was quite yeah. a nice touching moment. Yeah, and, and when Dickens, you know, just turns to the doctor, having obviously figured out that he was, you know, this traveller from the future, yes. and he just says, my books, do they last? Yeah, actually, and, I would agree with you. That's... Yeah. I, I didn't see that question coming. Yeah. You know, I thought he was going to ask about something that would allude to or inform another of his novels. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but he just wants to know: does his, you know, does his work live on? Does it matter? Yeah. Does it have impact? And yeah, I, as I say, as 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 a writer, as an artist, that's all anyone really wants of their work. Yeah. Like, obviously, no, you absolutely. want you want to earn a crust doing it in the meantime. But but beyond that, what's the point in doing it if nobody will appreciate it after you're done? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether I've managed to talk you round on this episode necessarily. I, I, I think this episode undid a lot of the good that the second episode did. Oh, okay, you know, I, I said last episode in order, I would probably rank episode two as my favourite. Yeah, then episode still one. surprises me, but that's awesome. Then yeah. episode one, yeah. and I found this the weakest yeah. that we've looked at so far. Yeah. Now, one thing that did hook me in. Yeah. You know, I love watching the teasers for the next episode. Oh, good lord! I'm I'm quite intrigued in where this is going next. Yeah, you know, we've discussed uh, last episode. You know, we've seen the future, we've seen the past, we've seen the present in the first episode. Yeah, but I'm quite intrigued to see now that the wider universe has been alluded to. Yeah, we've we've established the rules. Yeah, yeah. Or lack thereof, <laughs> and uh, how that is going to impact. I said modern day two thousand and five London. Yeah, you know because it it's almost like Men in Black. Yeah, <laughs> you know once we're aware these things are here, we're going to see them in the real world. Yeah, so I'm quite intrigued for that. Yeah. For next Aliens episode. of London is yes. that the next episode that, title? Um, I believe so. Yes, um, it is. You know, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say it's the first part of a two-parter. Okay. We will probably do both in one episode. I think that's going to be the easiest way to do them. Um, So, yeah, the first part of which is called Aliens of London. Right. And as the the, uh, next time trailer, presumably, I'll be honest, I don't watch them, alludes to is is that, you know, we are going to be seeing some aliens in present-day London. Yeah. 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 It'll be very interesting to see what you make of those episodes. Yeah, I'd like to see where we go with that. Um... But yeah, that probably will do it for now. So yeah, uh, yeah thanks we'll very much for listening. Um, and yeah, tune in next time to find out what Matt thinks of Aliens of London and its uh, second part, World War Three. Until then, I'll probably hate it. We'll get that. All right. So thanks very much for listening and cheerio. Uh, Thank you for listening to Neither the Time nor the Space. Feel free to get in contact with us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Alternatively, over Twitter, we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.